for those that's listening, Father, by video, Lord God, who's listening, Lord, by podcast, Father, who's listening, Father, by the website, Father. We thank you, Father, that whether, Lord, they be at home or here, Father, that your word, Father, will go into them, Father, they would engraft into them, Father, they would be blessed by this message, Father. Oh, Father, speak through me, Lord God. Remove, Father, any fear, remove any anxieties, Father, remove every worry, Father, that you will work in me, Father, Father, to do your will, Father. Hallelujah, just like you planned it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. All right. Ooh, it's been a while, huh? It's been a while. Hallelujah. Let him do it. It's been a while since I've taught. Um, but God placed it on my heart that it was time for me to get into it now. <clears throat> so... Today's message <clears throat> is called Put On the Whole Armor of God. Now, no, probably you've heard this message taught in, in several, several different ways. So I pray that you hear something today that blesses you and that you would get a word from the Lord that will help you not only in your spiritual life and your spiritual walk, but it will bless you also in your natural walk. Because one of the things that we are doing and that we want to do is for the message that we teach and that we preach, that it will also kind of permeate and you'll be able to use it and implement it in your personal life. Because it's a lot of times that we come to church, we come to hear the word, and it's a good message and it feels good, but we still go home depressed. We still go home with answers, you know, our questions, I mean. We still go home saying that, you know, there has to be more. So one of the things that, you know, God placed upon our heart is to give you the message in a way in which you're able to implement it on your job. You're able to implement it in your marriage. You're able to implement it in your relationships and implement it in your personal life. <clears throat> Thank you. Appreciate it. <clears throat> so we start with Ephesians <clears throat> 6, 10 through 13. And it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power and in his mighty power to put on the full armor of God so that you may, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. <clears throat> now the first thing I want to point out here, in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in who? The Lord. And a lot of times we try to be strong in ourselves. We try to have our own personal willpower. 
We, we say, I can do this. I got enough in me to do it. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says to be strong in him. Then it says in his mighty power. So not only to be strong in him, meaning that you're operating according to what he's doing, but it says to be strong in his power because his power is what we need to get the job done. Because when we try to operate in our own power, we always come up short. And we'll look at, <clears throat> when it says mighty power, we'll look at that more in uh, a previous slides that we're going to go across, but we're going to go first through the word. It says to put on the next thing, the full armor. So it's saying put on, which means that he's telling us you don't naturally have this. It's going to take some effort from you. It's, you're going to have to do this. When you came into the world, you didn't come with this armor. He said to put on means it's going to require something of you to do it. Because a lot of times we say, you know, Jesus did it all. He did. <clears throat> he did the work. But now we got to labor to enter into that rest. So we have to put on the full armor. Now he says the full armor because if we leave one of the armors off, we are susceptible to the enemy. So we might have the breastplate of righteousness on. We might have the helmet of salvation, but we don't have no peace. So what it does, it makes the enemy able to get into your life because now you have a place for him to enter into. That's why it says to put on the full armor. And it says so that you can, what? Take a stand. It didn't say so you can fight. It says so you can take a stand because it's not going to be you fighting. He's going to be fighting. He's going to be working through you. So you're not the one fighting. You're allowing God to work through you when you make a stand. Then it says, verse 13, he tells us again. So he reiterates it. Please make sure you put on the whole armor. It says you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, just stand. Be assured. Be sure you know the word. Be sure you know God is faithful. Be sure, don't let your faith waver. Be sure after you've done everything, you have your full armor on, you're in the Lord, you're, you're working in his power, he's working through you. He said, when you did all that you possibly can do, just stand your ground and watch me work. So it's important to note here Four things I want to pull out of the scripture here. Four things that I want you to write down and remember. First thing, it mentions to be strong in the Lord. Don't forget, because I know we humanly try to do things. Be strong in the Lord. Number two, in his mighty power, not in your will, not in your willpower, not in your energy, not in your strength, because it's not enough. Number three, to put on the full armor. Don't leave your parts of your armor off. 
Number four, stand your ground and stay firm in what you believe and in what he promised and what he spoke to you and wait on him. Don't try to do it yourself. Like they say, do not collect $200, <laughs> do not pass go, wait. Because sometimes we get anxious, like, okay, I'm just gonna make a move because God not doing nothing, no, wait. Colossians 1 and 11. It said, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So Paul prayed for the Christians in the Colossians church that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now we're going to look at what that might is. When he says to be strengthened with might according to his power, what is that might? What is that power that he's, he's telling you to be strengthened in? Number one, that's your power that's inherited. When you actually received Christ and you entered into the family of God, it, the Bible says that you inherited might. That's inherited power you have. It says power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or a thing exerts and puts forward. The fact that you have the seed of Christ in you and that his DNA is pulsating through your very body, you have inherited a power by virtue that's in you. It's also the power for performing miracles. Power, that moral power and the excellence of soul. A lot of times, like for instance, a reading of a will, we don't know what we have inherited until we get in the word. So this is part of your inheritance. He says this is the type of power for influence, which belongs to riches and wealth. So he's going to, he said you have inherited that type of power that gives you influence in your family, influence on your job, influence in the community that even allows you to do what? Get riches and wealth. It's that type of power for resources arising from numbers. And that power that is consisting in or restricting upon armies, forces, and hosts. So you have a host of angels at your disposal that when you pray, things happen. You have the type of power from armies that when you pray, a force that can't be reckoned with. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. <clears throat> it says to stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
So we're going to go through each and every one of these. We're going to go through the belt of truth. We're going to go through the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to go through the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're going to go through the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Each one a part of your armor that you should have on every day. So if you're being attacked by the enemy, part of your armor is off. The first one, the belt of truth. John 15 and 7 says that if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So Jesus said what? Remain in me. Abide. We're talking about the belt of truth, part of your armor. Now, he says to remain, to abide, meaning that make your home in the word. Settle in it. Become so comfortable with it that you are familiar with it. Because if you don't have any truth to fight with, how in the world are you going to be victorious and win? He said, in me and let my words remain in you. So you get in the word, you rest in it, come so familiar with it that it makes its home in you. And it settles so much in you. He said, become comfortable with it. So there are some who in their attempt to know truth begin to, guess what, investigate error. So sometimes people, what they do in order for them to know their truth, they begin to actually study what is not the truth to know what is the truth. But when you do that, you run into a place where you're studying error and you can easily be deceived. So that's not the way to know what truth is in order to study error. So instead of making a study of false teaching to understand truth, consider the example I'm getting ready to give you. So we're going to look at the example of bank tellers in training. Bank tellers in training. So when a bank teller is in training, the trainer never gives them a hundred counterfeit dollars to know what real dollar bills look like. They never do that. What they do is they give them several dollar bills that is not counterfeit, that is true, to the point where they become so familiar with the money that when towards the end of the orientation or the trading for the bank teller, what the trainer does, he inserts counterfeit money as their training. And from them training from what is truth concerning about the dollar bills, they are able to point out this one is fake. But they don't get to point out which one is fake by studying counterfeit bills. 
They're able to distinguish what is fake by studying what is the truth. So likewise, that's how we are to become. We got to get so familiar with the word. We got to become so comfortable with it that when the enemy tells you something in your mind, when he attacks you, when you're praying, you got to know, oh, I know that's a lie because I'm familiar with what God said. I know that he's what he promised me. I heard his voice. I seen it in his word. He said he is faithful and he is just. But still, also, he doesn't leave us desolate and alone. Right alongside us, when we receive Christ, we also receive the Holy Spirit, which does what? Lead us and guides us into all truth concerning all situations. So even with the word in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, he still provides the Holy Spirit alongside us as an advocate to help us. The breastplate of righteousness. Luke 2 and 52. And it says... And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So we see here that even Jesus, our brother, had to grow in developing what? A right relationship with God and a right relationship with man. His relationship with the Father grew, and his relationship with people grew. Acts 24 and 16. It says, because of this, I am always, I always try to maintain what? A clear conscience before God and all people. Now we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, as far as the definition, we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about a right relationship. And we're saying a right relationship not only with God, but establishing a right relationship also with people. So Paul stood here in this verse, Acts 24 and 16, before Felix, and he shared that he does all that he can do to have a clear conscience with the Father and with people because righteousness is about having a right relationship with God and with people. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are those who do what? Hunger and thirst. For righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said, he makes an analogy here. He says that our desire for righteousness should be so intense as the physical desires of our hunger and our thirst naturally. 
We would never, ever, ever be so hungry and thirsty naturally that we don't ever eat or drink, ever. We make sure that when we're hungry and we're thirsty or our kids tell us they're hungry and they're thirsty, we make sure to provide that need. So he's making an analogy that you should be very hungry and very thirsty just like you would naturally be spiritually for righteousness. So we are long away from, of course, a literal death, but this scripture speaks volumes to the strength of the drive of our physical makeup and how strong our hunger for righteousness should be. So likewise, our emotional, our spiritual, our psychological dimensions of our life that we have should be equally important. I always tell people when I'm counseling, a lot of times, you know, because people, they come in with different symptoms, whether it's crying spells, whether it's depression, anxiety, fear, worry, phobias, racing thoughts. I always tell them, and I give this, them this analogy, and I tell them, well, you take care of your, we know the symptoms of when you're hungry. Your stomach hurts, you might get a headache, you become thirsty, you become hungry, and we take care of that immediately. Guess what? So those symptoms can go away. We would never allow those symptoms to continue. Likewise, our soul has symptoms. Our soul cries out just like when we're hungry. And those symptoms are crying spells. Those symptoms are anxiety. Those symptoms are fear. Those symptoms are worry. Those symptoms are hearing things, seeing things. Your soul is saying, I am desolate. I am empty. You have not poured into me the real person, the real you. There's no encouragement in me. I've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out into other people, giving other people advice, and I have yet to pour back into myself. So when our relationship with the father or man is off, it causes a breach in the breastplate, which leaves us open and susceptible to the fiery darts of the enemy. And some of that also may mean unforgiveness, which means there's a breach in your breastplate. That might mean bitterness, resentment, hate, envy, strife. There's a breach in your breastplate. So it's one of those things. Let's take a check. <laughs> we get a tune-up for our car, right? We get signals that something's wrong with our car, and we go get a diagnostic on it to see what's wrong to fix it. So we need a checkup of our souls as well. Thank you, Father. Some continual associated scriptures, we have Romans 12 and 18, and Proverbs 16 and seven. Romans 12 and 18 says that, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Proverbs 16 and 7 says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies 
to be at peace with him. So when you desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness with the Father and with people, he said, I'll reward you when you do that. I'll make not only those to be at, your enemies to be at peace with you, but I'll give you favor when they said there was no favor. I'll create a position for you. I'll make things happen that normally never happened before. First Timothy 1 and 5 says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a what? A pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Proverbs 4 and 23 says to do what? Guard your heart. Have you been guarding your heart? Have you been allowing anything to come into your heart? Are you harboring unforgiveness? So a right relationship with God and man are at the core of scripture. If we look at the Ten Commandments, listed in Exodus 21 through 7, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 21 through 17, the first four primarily deal with what? Having a right relationship with God. The first four commandments. The remaining six commandments deals with what? A right relationship with people. Then on top of that, Jesus summed it up in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, when he said what? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets rest on these two commandments. A right relationship with him and a right relationship with people. He said all of it is summed up through that. Our feet should with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And our associated scripture is 2 Timothy 4 and 2. It says, preach the word of God, be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, whether you feel like it or not, he said, I need you to be prepared. Whether you're going through something or it's a good day, he said, I need you to what? Be prepared. Whether your marriage is in shambles or it's 20 years you've been together, he said, I need you to be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says, to do what? Study. study. To show thyself approved unto God, 
a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul told Timothy, study to do what? Show yourself approved. So this requires us to do more than simply quote scripture to people. When we study something, we know the ins and outs of what we're studying. We study it to break it down, to see if we can get revelation of what of God is saying. We study it and we break it down so small to even that we can teach a child what the word is saying. So he says, study, not just read, but study. You remember in school, when you're in high school or college, and the teacher would go over the lesson, and then you would come back and think that you could take the test without studying. Because you think that, oh, I know this. She went over this. <laughs> but it required you to study to actually get a good grade on the test. So it's one of those situations where we're not, we not just want to come here like today and just hear the word. Because, of course, it gives us encouragement. It gives us strength. It increases our faith. But we have to go home and study. We got to abide in that word. We got to rest in that word. We got to let that word take root and become at home in us. Colossians 4 and 6. It says, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Me and my husband, we opened um, a practice up, a mental health practice in Stockbridge. And we do our marital sessions together. And we do individual counselors for adults and for children. And there's times when I'm like, God, what, what do I even say to somebody who lost their sister? What do you say to someone whose brother has committed suicide? What do you say to somebody who lost everything and is homeless? So I have to rely every single time on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me what to say. That I'm able to touch the inner parts of this person. That I'm able to heal their broken heart. So we're able to, you know, restore their marriage. That we're able to talk to a child that their heart could be turned back to their parents. Our speech always has to be seasoned with salt, meaning that it has to be effective. I don't want them to come into a counseling session just for them to talk and I just say a few things and they go home. No, I want them to leave changed. I want them to leave encouraged to leave knowing that they can do this, to leave with answers to, to, to problems and questions that they had. 
So the unbeliever will become, why do we do this? Because the unbeliever needs to become thirsty for the living water. And the only way for them to become thirsty for the living water is that your words, number one, would be seasoned with grace. And number two, that they would see it in your life. The one thing that gets an unbeliever to listen to you is that they see your life. They see how you handle stress. It's like, how do you keep peace when there's so much going around in this world? They begin to what? Wonder, what do you have that I don't have? Where am I going wrong? Where's that peace that's past understanding that you have that I don't have? What is it that you have that keeps you anchored and grounded? The shield of faith. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. It says, another parable, this is Jesus teaching his disciples. It says, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, the point of Jesus' story about faith being the side of a mustard seed was not to emphasize our faith being small. And we get this all the time. People say, we got, we got faith of a mustard seed. <laughs> the emphasis is not on the mustard seed. The emphasis is not on if I just got a little bit of faith, I can do something. No, that's not the emphasis. Rather, Jesus taught of the capacity of our faith to experience phenomenal growth. We're focused on the wrong thing. He's saying that it starts like this, but the capacity that it can grow is immeasurable. Even though the mustard seed is the littlest of seeds, when planted, it said, it grows into a large tree so that even the birds can nest in it. So your faith is like what? A mustard seed. Because of the capacity it holds with the ability to grow phenomenally. But, I know, some of you scholars out there will say, well, I thought it said in Romans 12 and 3, that to each of us, God has given a measure of faith. And it does say that. But what do we do with the measure that we have, that he's given us? Because the mind is tricky. You got to tell it what to think. Because it'll go to the, the smallest and the littlest instead of going to how much you can excel. So, 
we, it says that we have, the, in this parable here, it says that the grain of mustard seed, the man took and he sold it. Meaning that he wanted it to grow. He wasn't focused on the seed being small. He said, I found a seed. And God is saying the kingdom is just like this. He said, I found a seed. And I'm going to put it in the ground so it can grow. So are we burying it to grow? Are we just keeping the mustard seed? We're not watering it? We're not, the Bible tells us to what? Exercise our faith, meaning build it up. So I know some of you are still not convinced, so let's read some more scriptures. Luke 17 and 5 says, and the apostle said unto the Lord, do what? Increase our faith. They didn't say, well, God, the measure you gave to us is enough. <laughs> we should be able to do it what we got. They said, no, what we have is not enough. Help us to increase our faith. Second Thessalonians 1 and 3 says that we are bound to thank God always for you now, Paul here is writing a letter. He said, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your what? Faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you are toward each other abounded. So each of these scriptures point to growth of faith. And that growth is concise. It's specific. It's telling you your faith has the ability to increase. The measure that you was given has the ability to increase. Still not convinced? We're gonna read Matthew 21 and 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith, and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be thy removed and be thy cast into the sea, it shall be done. So at the point or more in your life, you're going to begin to do what I call a faith check. Where it starts off as, Father, Help my unbelief. That's where it begins. And then you're going to look up and what you asked for has been manifested. And then you do another faith check because you believe in God for something else. And then you look up and that has manifested what you asked God for. So what you pray for comes to pass again until you continue to grow in your faith for that type of faith in Matthew 21 and 21. He says you can get to the point where your faith has abundantly and phenomenally increased that you can say to a mountain, be removed 
but that is faith that you allow to grow. That's faith that you have spent time in the word to grow. That's faith, as I say, hearing comes by the word. That's faith that you have listened to several messages and you have listened to several teachings to help you increase your faith and you have put in the personal time to increase your faith. He said you can get to the point where you just, you can speak the stuff like he spoke to the fig tree. The helmet of salvation. So as vital as our shield of faith is, as it is our first line of defense, it is with equal importance that we talk about our helmet of salvation. Because there is a battle, a raging battle going on in our mind. So we have to admit that the mind is more than just a set of brain functions. It's more to the brain and the mind than that. The brain is not just lobes and cortex and, and parts of the brain and stuff in which we study and science study. It's, it's more to it than just synapse. And when our brain tell us to raise our hand or kick our feet, it's more to it than that. Our mind is a part of our soul. It is the first defense of our soul. So, if it's able to get past the mind, it able to get to the heart, is able to get to the soul, but you got to stop it at the mind level. When the enemy tells you a lie, you got to stop it at the mind level, because if you don't, it gets into your soul. And when it gets into your soul, that's when people come to me. I've been suffering from depression. I've been suffering from anxiety. That's because you've allowed it to get into your soul. You didn't fight it when it was at the mind level. Because you didn't fight it when it was at the mind level, it was able to get into your spirit, then it was able to get into your soul. So our helmet of salvation protects our mind and warfare with the enemy. But we have to be careful of trying to complete our salvation we first received in the flesh because it gets us nowhere. So why does it die off when we try to complete something in the flesh? Because we began with it in the spirit. That's why. We can't complete something in the flesh that was began in the spirit. And we'll see. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. This is Paul talking to the Galatian church in which he spent several years with trying to get them to have the mind of Christ. So he says to them, as he writes them a letter and have heard of what has happened in the church, which was the fact that they allowed people to come in and tell them that they had to do X, Y, and Z, pretty much to put them back under the law. So he hears about this. He was like, wait, I labored with you to get you to see 
to try to see things as Christ seen things. And I told you about his grace and I told you about everything that you needed to do. How is it that you allowed somebody to come in and change what I just worked with you about? He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whom eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you, this only would I learn of you. He said, I got one question for you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So he's saying here, look, we're talking about the helmet of salvation. He said, I came in, I labored with you to get you to see this thing. I laid it out so plainly to you, he said, that he said, before who eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth. He said, I labored so much with you that you was able to see this thing so clear. There was no questions in your mind when I spoke to you. He said, and then you allowed somebody to come in as if you was put under a spell. Romans 14 and 5. It says, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Fully, fully persuaded where? in your mind, not wavering, not doubting, fully persuaded. Will God say it shall come to pass? It's not going to come on your timing. We're not on your calendar and your timetable. We're on his timing. Because when he does it, it's perfect. The sword of the spirit. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is what? Quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and an intentions of the heart. We're going to get to that. Proverbs 20 and 27. It says, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. And a lot of times this is why it's difficult for us to get in the word. It exposes everything in us. So, I got a scenario for you. Let's say the Lord is dealing with you right now in regards to your relationships, okay? So certainly as you came to Christ, you found friendship with a whole new set of people in the family of God. 
but you can't just ignore the friends you had before you came to Christ. So it is just that you have a new relationship with them, right? Now you don't do what they do anymore. So what God does, he brings the searchlight. He brings the searchlight to the door of the room labeled companions. And he knocks. But before you let him in, you shove your friend Mark in the closet. <laughs> that one friend in the world that you have that you just can't let go. In the closet. So you lock the closet door and go across the room to open the door in which Jesus is knocking. So together you begin sorting, yes, Lord, I know. I'm supposed to leave Mark alone. <laughs> I must stay far away from Mark as I possibly can. <laughs> so Jesus begins to tell you, yes, you will soon have an opportunity to lead Mark to me. To develop that relationship with him. So finally, he starts, Jesus starts moving around the room, right? Obviously looking for something. By the way, he asks, you seen Mark? <laughs> you know that Mark by this time is suffocating in the closet. <laughs> so Jesus is a gentleman. You now have a choice. You can either leave that closet door shut and mind the things of the flesh, as you tell him, I don't know where Mark is. And the room will grow dim and your fellowship with Jesus will be diminished. Or you could co cooperate with the renewal process and open the door. Pull Mark out of the closet and talk to the Lord about Mark. So in this manner, he will deal with all areas of your life whether it is a room full of our companions, the way in which we use our time, the way in which we use our money, our attitude towards law, towards order, our attitude on social media, the way we dress, our sexuality, everything. In every room, our soul, he will eventually bring the candle, the light to search out and then to expose the light of his word so those things that are done in the dark can be seen in the light. So the things that are in you that need to come out of you can, be, can come out of you. The things in the areas in which you need to grow can grow. And in doing that, the light of light will do what? It will light up our life, our life, making us what? A witness of God's transforming power but we got to open the door. And I throw this in as a bonus, prayer, which is part of our full armor. And it's actually in, in scripture. It's actually the verse after he says, put on the full armor. Romans 6 and 18 is at the end of this scripture. It says, and pray 
in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people so after we have put on the armor Paul reminds us to pray for ourselves and pray for the body of Christ so in this we will end in prayer. With our eyes closed and our hearts receptive, Father, help us to put on the armor that you have provided for protection against the enemy. Help us, Father, to gird up our loins with truth, to know and abide in you so much that we are able to discern a true Father from a lie. Father, help us to put on our breastplate of righteousness that we will have a force field around us, Father, to value our relationships with you and with people. Father, help us to shud our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that our life is so seasoned, Father, with your word that it makes others thirst and hunger for you. Father, help us, Father, to take up the shield of faith, which is our first defense against the enemy. For the measure of faith that you have given to us, Father, we will water it until it grows to a mountain-moving faith. Father, help us to firmly position our helmet of salvation to protect our mind, which is connected to our soul, to cast down every vain imagination that tries to exalt against, Father, your truth. Help us, Father, to use the sword of the spirit which is the word of God to shine the light father on your word on the hidden chambers of our soul let us father surrender everything we are hiding from you father to take it and to heal it father so that father we would see your glory and we pray this father for ourselves and we pray this prayer father for the body of Christ in Jesus name amen